Thank you, Phil. And uh, we'll be looking at that passage in Ephesians 2 this morning in preparation for our time of celebration at the Lord's table, which is significantly tied to uh, this passage in Ephesians 2. So let's pray together and then we'll begin. Father, thanks for the privilege of gathering for a few moments within these walls to declare to one another and to you, Father, uh, the, the calling that you've given us and your character and your nature and the story into which we're invited in Christ. And I just pray that your Holy Spirit would teach us now that we'd have ears to hear and hearts to respond to what you reveal. Well, thank you in Christ's name, amen. Conventional wisdom, of course, is that if you just break down the wall, all will be well. Remember uh, uh, President Reagan in 1980-something? His famous words uh, to Mr. Uh, Gorbachev. Mr. Gorbachev? See, you know it. It's like a famous statement. And the wall did go down, but it doesn't make everything well. Because the problem is, when walls come, this is true, when walls come down, they always reveal another wall. That's the way of human history. So you have recently the Arab Spring, and uh, when the totalitarian regime was deposed, there was cheering, yeah, this is going to be amazing for Egypt. There's a piece of me holding back saying, no, not necessarily. Let's wait a minute. What's next? We always have to ask the question, what's next? Because when a wall breaks down, unless there's real reconciliation, something worse than the first wall may arise. And, and, and so in Arab Spring, Egypt, in the wake of civil war, in the wake of Arab Spring, civil war uh, uh, threatening to freedom. The end of communism in Eastern Europe meant that Yugoslavia, who pre previously had a single enemy, the Soviet Union, uh, now once again turned on themselves, on each other, and the killing fields of this war between the Serbs and Croats ensued. The end of the Belgian occupation of Rwanda uh, meant that... Uh, Tutsis began slaughtering Hutus to the tune of one million in about 100 days. The end of the Civil War in America becomes the beginning of Jim Crow and lynchings and housing regulations that exclude people of color from certain neighborhoods. So there's two truths uh, dividing the human condition. Number one, we all long for peace. We want it. We all want walls to be broken down. It's a good thing. But instead, walls happen. And, and, and so that's kind of what we're addressing this morning, why do walls happen and what does the gospel have to say about these walls? And the beauty of the Bible is how incredibly relevant it is in speaking of the human condition when you look at the pain and sadness and anxiety and anger that happens in the world, you can always trace such pain and anxiety and loneliness and anger back to a single word, alienation. Everything's the problem with everything uh, relationally anyway, is alienation. Uh, there's a, here's a group of people, I remember as a kid, here's a group of people, these four, let's say, and here I am, and I want to come, and I want to, they're the in-group. Remember that? It was an in-group and an out-group. And I wanted in, and they would look at me, and they'd say, oh, you got big ears, and then they'd continue on with their conversation. And so then you're, you're an outsider, right? So this isn't like just a political, geopolitical thing. This is a human thing. A child feels excluded from a group. A young student doesn't make the team and then feels excluded. Or even if you make the team, then you want to make the starting five. And you don't make the, so you're on the team, but you're on the bench and you don't make the starting five. Or if you make the starting five, you don't make the all-star team. Do you understand? Like there's always a wall to exclude. Uh, you, get, uh, you, you get a job. And then, like some of you grads, brand new job. And then you walk down the hall, and here's like a senior management team, and they see you, and they close the door. <laughs> that hurts, right? 
You feel excluded from important conversations. So walls, division, exclusion, it's all part of the human condition. Refugee makes their way to a new country. They don't feel welcome. And, and so let's, this morning, ask the question based on Ephesians 2, what does the gospel have to say about the reality that we live in a world of exclusion, hierarchies, and division? What does the gospel have to say about that? And the, the reality is it has a great deal to say about it. So this morning, there are three realities that we see that will enable us to live into our calling uh, as instruments of unity and reconciliation. And those are here. I apologize for not having an outline in the bulletin. Uh, I, was, I was in a part of the world this previous week where there's no internet. I didn't know such places existed, but they still do. There's no internet, and so uh, uh, I couldn't, couldn't send in an outline. But here it is. Uh, three things. What we were, what Christ did, what we've become. What we were. Uh, you were is the phrase there that you see in, in uh, verses 11 and 12. What Christ did, it says, but now. And then uh, at the end, it says, uh, so then. So let's begin here. What were we before Christ? What were we? And in a word, this is the word alienated. What were you? You were alienated. Uh, we know it from the text. Let me read. It's in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly... You, the Gentiles in the flesh, remember, you were, at that time, alienated from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants and promise, having no hope without God in the world. You were alienated from Christ and alienated from Israel, right? So this kind of double alienation. This word alienation only used three times in the Bible, twice in Ephesians, once in Colossians. And the word means uh, uh, in the active voice, it means to exclude uh, or estrange. And in the passive voice, it means, of course, you were excluded. Phil was excluded. He was on the outside. Uh, so here's what, what Paul is saying. He says, apart from Christ, uh, you, were, you were excluded from life with God and excluded from God's people, the nation of Israel. And, and then the phrase that uh, occurs in this text is a phrase dividing wall. There's a dividing wall that excludes, right? It's, and it's used in this chapter to dis, uh, kind of describe the condition, and it's illustrated perfectly by the walls of the temple, right? So if you know the, 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 the Jewish temple, first of all, it's built on a, on a plateau. So to get to the temple, you have to ascend, right? So there's people who are up, there's people who are down. Second, once you ascend to the, to the temple, not everyone is welcome in the temple. Like, there's wall after wall after wall. First of all, in the inner, inner part, the Holy of Holies, there are walls pre preventing everyone from entering that place. That's where God lives, the Holy of Holies. And then there's the holy place. And then there's the, the uh, court of the priests. And then there's the court of uh, Israel. And there's a the court of women. So, so uh, wall, 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 five walls uh, dividing. So if you're a Jewish woman, you can go so far, but not beyond the, the court of women. If you're, if you're a Jewish man, you can go so far, but you have to be a priest to go even further. If you're a priest, you can go so far, but only the high priest gets to go into the holiest place, and then only once a year. Wall, 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 wall. And now, if you're a Gentile, ho, oh, baby, hopeless, right? Like, <laughs> no offense, I'm contextualizing for first century, worse than women, right? Worse than women. So the women can go so far, but not very far. But now, if you're Gentile, um, from all those courts where there's walls at the same elevation, you go down 14 steps, and then there's another wall 
And that's called what? The court of the Gentiles. And the Gentiles can never go up those steps. They can't even go up the steps. Why? There's a wall there. So uh, the, all this division is the reality. Alienation, the phrase dividing wall, and you see the temple built here with division, 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 and, and stepping down these steps, actually 19 steps for those who are keeping score, not 14, to the court of Gentiles. Uh, and this is not just then, it's now. We li- look, we live in a world where there are walls dividing. And in most cultures, people break out into little groups along lines of division, exclusion, and hierarchy. Uh, in Seattle, in the wake of uh, the Civil War, as Seattle began to grow really rapidly, how, there are housing laws, some of you know this, that built our city along racial lines, a red line, dividing, where, where people of color could live versus white people. We think, oh, we're a northern state. Hey, wait a minute. No, this dividing wall has hit our city. And housing uh, laws in Seattle created that, but even without laws, there are housing realities. So without any laws at all, uh, there, are, there are rich people living in some place and people in poverty living in other places. There are gender-based divisions. There are education-based divisions, health-based divisions, age-based divisions. All of these carry implied or explicit hierarchies, right? So, so, so there are times when uh, there are walls that are excluding so I'm here and you're there. And let's use these four, these four people. Like whether there's a physical wall or not, here's the point. There's a wall. They are with each other, not me, and I'm not invited in. And, and uh, the Bible says this is the human condition, and all of us in the room know it. We've all experienced it in different ways. And sometimes you're, you're in a group and you're excluding others, and at other times you're on the outside, and you want in, and you're being excluded. It happens. happens all the time. When I was in, uh, when I was in uh, uh, high school, in the basketball world, I was on the outside. I wanted in, but I, nobody let me in. I was too short and uh, too uh, uh, not strong enough, so I'm out. I want in, but I'm out. I love basketball. It doesn't matter on the outside. But in the music world, I was really good at music, so I was on the inside. And there were other people who wanted to be on the inside of the music world, and they were stuck on the outside. I'm in, they're out. I'm out, they're in. Do you see? This is, it's this way with all of us at, at different times, right? When I, when I was in seminary, I felt like an outsider, super introverted, uh, and everybody in class is spouting opinions. It's this way, it's this way. And I felt like I didn't know the answers. So I was quiet and taking notes. And if you saw my notes, there's just gigantic question marks. What does this mean? Like, I don't know. So I felt like an outsider because everyone seemed so confident. But now, when I'm invited to go speak somewhere, I'm, an, I'm on the inside. Because there's an axiom in life. Grads, this is something good to know. If they fly you in, they think you know something. I, <laughs> you may not know anything. But because they, they invested in you, they flew you in, now anything you say is true, right? So now you're on, you're, you're on the inside, right? Again, sometimes on the in, sometimes on the out. All this alienation, division, hierarchy, we think it's solvable with, you know, counseling and, and laws and systems. If we just fix the system, then there won't be any more oppression. If we just get people, you know, talking, then there won't be any... No, listen, here's the thing you must see... The, Ephesians is telling us that the headwaters of every wall, every alienation, 
The, if you keep going upstream, what's the source of the problem? It's this, alienation from God, verse 12. If I'm cut off from God, by virtue of being cut off of God, I'm cut off with others. And this is why breaking down dividing walls never results in permanent peace. Unless I'm reconciled to God, my attempts at human reconciliation will always be short-lived. Remember World War I? What was it called? The War II and all wars. Oh, that's a laugh, right? Yeah, because here's the problem. At the end of the war, Germany was excluded. They weren't invited to the table, and so they suffered under uh, these, these uh, economic sanctions, that kind of thing, and that gave rise to a wacky dictator, and that gave rise to World War II, the war to really now end all wars, except in, in the wake of that war, there was a failure to address global wealth and, the, and, and, and poverty gap and, and totalitarianism. So now there's a refugee crisis as millions and millions of people are leaving places where there's nothing to go to places where there's something and that's creating a backlash of na nationalism. And so now you have countries um, once again building borders to prevent people from coming in. Wall, wall, wall. Look, it's the 21st century. And we all, none of us want walls. This is the thing. We don't want walls. But in the 21st century, when there are posters of a globe and little kids of every color holding hands and, and John Lennon's song about imagining a world in which there are no walls, here's the reality. Walls still happen, right? So, so why is that? We want unity. We want to imagine but we can only imagine we can't experience. Why? Because the problem is not system. The problem is not political. The problem is not legal. The problem is spiritual. At the, at the headwaters, the problem is spiritual. We are first alienated from God, and if we're alienated from God, then we're alienated from one another. So don't be surprised. This is the human condition. This is why Jesus said, until the end of time, there will be what? Wars and rumors of wars. You, like, okay, get rid of Saddam Hussein, fine. That doesn't mean that suddenly everybody's singing kumbaya. What it means is Kurds and Sunnis and Shias start shooting each other, right? Fine, end the civil war. Now you have liberals in the north, fundamentalists in the south, and, and a political divide that remains to this day, 200 years after the civil war, or 100 years, 150 years after the civil war ended. So you can, you can say, oh, we, you know, we have a new system. That solves the problem. No, it doesn't. Because the problem ultimately is alienation from God. We have to go all the way to the headwaters of the problem if we're going to solve the problem. The second thing then, okay, we're alienated from God. What did Christ do? And that begins in like verse 14 or so, 13. But now... In Christ, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. Two observations. What did Christ do? Two things. Number one, he brought us near by the blood. That's the first thing. What did Christ do? He brought us near to God by the blood. Second, he became our peace. Uh, verse 14, he himself is our peace. We'll look briefly at both of these. The first thing Christ did, he brought us near to God by the blood. And of course, uh, if, if Phil and I are both drawing near to Christ, then what's happening? We're also drawing near what? To each other. That's, that's the vision here, right? Washing over the blood. In other words, the basis for unity is what Christ did on the cross. I can negotiate with Phil. I can confess. I can forgive. We can dialogue we can relate, all those may be important tools to move toward unity, 
But the Bible tells us that it's Christ's death that makes reconciliation possible. So in verse 13, again, uh, you who were in Christ, uh, now in Christ, you who formerly were far off have been brought near. Now, here's the thing. Most of us who think about this stuff ask the question, in what sense can the blood of Christ break down dividing walls? I don't even see the connection. I thought the blood of Christ forgave sins and does, does these kind of things. But now you're telling me the blood of Christ is how dividing walls are broken down. In what sense, does the, how is the blood of Christ related to the breaking down of dividing walls? This is what we're gonna look at. And I'll tell you, I'll warn you, we won't go deep into this because this is a, actually uh, a topic on which theologians have 30 views. So I can't say, hey, let's talk about the atonement and what it means in the next 90 seconds. I can't do that, right? I can say one thing that is significant, and it's this. The power of Christ's blood in its reconciliation with God levels us. And, and this, is, this is how that works. Um, years ago, my wife and I, right after we got married, we were in a little church in California, and we started getting angry at the pastor. Now, it's not ironic, because now I'm the pastor, and people are angry at me. But uh, at the time, I was, I was angry at the pastor, and my wife was angry at the pastor. And then we became really convicted that we needed to go and confess our anger to him. And I, in reality, I'm, I'm being too generous with myself. My wife was convicted that we needed to go and confess this anger, and she actually, she was in the room, she was the one speaking. So we made an appointment with the, with the pastor. We went and we spoke with him. And we said, hey, um, Mr. So-and-so, I want to let you know, we, just, it's, we want to apologize. We've been talking about you behind your back to each other. And we've been frustrated and we've been angry. And we don't want to carry that without bringing it into the light, so to speak. Uh, and, and so... We want, we're here to ask forgiveness, right? I will never forget what he said. He just, he just, he stood up and he came around from behind. He had this giant pastor desk, you know, with a sign up front, you know, Reverend so-and-so. And he got up and he walked around the desk and then he came and he, he's a pretty big guy and he hugged both of us. He hugged us. He just wrapped us in a big hug. And this, I'll never forget, this is his word. He said, there's nothing to forgive. You're forgiven. He says, here's the thing. We're all equal at the foot of the cross. Isn't that marvelous? Because here's what he's saying. He's saying, look, uh, on what basis do I stand in relationship with God? On what basis? Only Jesus. Not Jesus and, and my politics. Not Jesus and my race. Jesus and my money. Jesus and my education. Christ. Like, so if, if I stand in relation with God because of Christ, and you stand in relation with God because of Christ, then hear this, there is no what? There's no wall. You came the same way I came. Do you have blind spots? Yes. Do I have blind spots? Yes. Uh, do you have different views than me? Yes. Should they ever divide us? No. Why? Because both of us, hear me, we both what? We both drink from the same cup. How could you drink from that cup and say, I have Christ in me? I drink from the cup saying, I have Christ in me. And then we have a dividing wall. Impossible. That's, what the, that's the gospel. 
The gospel is saying we are one family because it's the, we all share the same blood. It's the blood of Christ that unites us. Someone should say amen or something like that because we actually live in the most polarized time in, in my lifetime. I've never seen more division uh, within the Christian community. I mean, there are, there are fellow believers in the same family who cannot have Thanksgiving meal together because they argue politics. Are you kidding me? And if it's not politics, it's theology. And if it's not, if it's not broad theology, it's same-sex marriage. And we don't get along. We divide over issues. And, and Christ is saying, you love Jesus. I love Jesus. That's the basis of us being one family. Let's show the world we're one family. Because all of us came the same way through the blood of Christ. It's the blood of Christ that brings us near to God. And so uh, the blood is an end to the, the old world of walls, or should be. Second, then, Christ brought us near by the blood, and also, under what Christ did, Christ became our peace. Because in verse 14, this is what it says. He himself is our peace. He's our peace. So Jesus isn't a source of peace, Jesus uh, isn't teaching peace. Jesus isn't bringing a philosophy that will bring peace. He, Christ himself, is our peace. So it's interesting that Paul says that there's a barrier between humans and God. So he says that there's this dividing wall between humans and God and that it's the breaking down of that dividing wall, the dividing wall between us and God that becomes our source of peace and peace here is not just an absence of conflict, it's the presence of wholeness, right? So we're whole because of Christ, and, and, and the message that should be elevated, shouted loudly from the mountaintops, declared with every fiber of our being is this. In a world of, of, of tribalism and polarization and, and cable news and social media that inflames and incites division and hatred and hierarchy, in that world, there is a source of peace, I mean, if we, if we embody uh, diversity and the breaking down of walls, this is beautiful. And it's beautiful because our world longs for peace because God has placed the longings for peace in every human heart. Ecclesiastes 3, 9 and 10, uh, God has placed eternity in our hearts. We want peace, we want justice, we want intimacy. So that every school shooting, every threat of nuclear war, every improvised explosive device pierces our soul. We want peace and yet there's war. But this is not an endless cycle of death and destruction. The cycle has been broken when Jesus said on the cross, it is finished Part of what he meant is there's a new world order because I have now defeated the one who builds the walls. Satan's done. <laughs> so, so, so now we can know with confidence where history's headed. Isaiah chapter 2, Isaiah chapter 9, both talk about Christ as what? Wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, the prince of peace. And then imagine, envision, right? Isaiah 2. On that day, the day of peace, all the nations will join hands. Can you see every tribe? Uh, Hutu, Tutsi, black, white, rich, poor, homeless, and, and you know, wealthy people living on the water. Everyone, they're joining hands, and everyone's been leveled. There's no more hierarchy. There's no more division. There's no more tribalism because we're bound together by our mutual transformation and love of our master and savior and creator, God in Christ. And so everyone's ascending the mountain and it says they're melting down their tools, their weapons, and turning them into tools of agriculture. Never again will they learn war. Peace, Isaiah, and that's the end of the story of Revelation. Where's history heading? 
History is heading to, toward a land with no walls. So, so we don't need to wait for this peace to happen because it says here in this text, not Jesus will break down the dividing wall someday. It says he himself has broken the dividing wall. The wall doesn't exist anymore. Now, you say, oh, no, no, no. Listen, there's walls everywhere. MSNBC and Fox, black and white, rich and poor, male and female, views on marriage, views on divorce, views on tongues, views on everything. Oh, there are walls. Yeah, they're all illusions. It's because we're hanging on to our fallenness, do you see? How many saw the movie Home Alone? The first, very first one. Remember the first one? This little kid, uh, there's some robbers that are going to break into his house. And do you remember what he did? He created like a fake party. Do you remember this? Where he had like a Michael Jordan cutout and he put the Michael Jordan cutout on his train set and had it going around and around in front of the window and he, sh he had a spotlight on that and then he played some, some music and, and I don't know what else he did, but he was trying to create this illusion that, hey, don't come in here. There's a party and there was no party. So these... these Bad guys, they looked and they go, oh man, we thought, uh, we thought there was nobody home, but look, there's a party, and then they left, right? And what they, they left on the basis of illusion. And here's the thing. We're living in a land of illusion. We're divided into a million different subsets now. Republicans, Democrats, men, women, rich, poor, view on divorce, remarriage, Th this view on marriage, that view on marriage, this view on gun control, this view on war, this view on health care, this view on reformed theology, this view on tongues, this view on the age of the earth, this view on everything. And so we all have these views on various issues, and if you're a leader, you need to have, especially a spiritual leader, you have to have views because you're called to practices but listen, we need to realize that there's something way more important than my particular view that's at stake in our community together. What's, what's way more important than my view is this calling to display visible unity with people with whom we don't uh, see eye to eye. That's actually very important in God's economy, right? So you have to realize that there are people who disagree with us, but if you and I don't agree and we drink out of the same cup, then still what? We are both of Christ. Does this make sense? So I'm not going to say to you, hey, I want to be your friend if, who did you vote for? What's your view on gun control? What's your view on marriage? What's the age of the earth? What version of the Bible do you use? What? NIV? Get out of here. No, I mean, no, 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 no. Listen, we both drank from the cup, which says what? His blood has reconciled us to God and therefore, therefore, to each other. This is our calling. Visible display of unity. <laughs> so those who love Christ are intended to be united by their love of Christ, not their love of Christ plus their politics or their love of Christ plus their uh, esoteric theology or their love of Christ plus their skin color or their net worth or their edu educational level. No, love of Christ is what binds us together. I have a little mountain community where I live, and it actually illustrates this, in my opinion, quite nicely. Uh, there's several of us who walk every morning together, and we're very diverse. Who, like, there's a, there's a tea party guy 
there's a ski bum, there's a liberal immigrant, there's an ex-burnt-out Catholic, and, and there's an evangelical pastor. Like, what do we agree on? Nothing. Nothing. We have robust conversations, actually. But I'll tell you this, if any one of us uh, needs help slipping firewood, we're all there. And, and when I'm away and I can't clear my driveway, uh, one of these guys is there to clear my driveway for me of snow. And if any one of them has a, has a crisis of some sort, they're knocking on my door. Hey, Richard, I'm going in for surgery tomorrow. We're going to go over to uh, Ahmed's house and drink, and, and then we want you to pray at the end. Would you come drink and pray with us? <laughs> drink and pray. I'll pray with you, and I will. Like, what binds us together? We all love the same thing. We all love the mountains. And so we can set aside every other difference because we're bound together by one thing. There's no dividing wall. Now, if a few, you know, wacky people who love the mountains can do that, my love for the mountains... uh, is one on a scale of 150 compared to my love for Jesus. Do you understand? And, that, and that's the basis then of stepping into your world. That's the basis. I don't need to know your politics. I don't need to know your view on everything. Why? Because here's the deal. The last thing Jesus prayed for before going to the Garden of Gethsemane in John 17, he prayed for unity. He said, regarding his disciples, he said, I pray for my disciples and those who will believe because of them, that's us, that they may be one even as you, Father, and I are one in order that the world might know that you, God, have sent me Christ. How, what's our credibility? Our credibility is our unity. So if you can't have Thanksgiving with your democratic uncle who's also a Christ follower, that's a terrible testimony. It's, it's more than a terrible testimony. It's heresy. Like our visible unity is the most important thing. We love Jesus. And and because of that, we actually need to listen to the voice of the other who doesn't fully agree with me so that we can grow closer and closer over the rest of eternity to fully understanding. Only then when we see Christ fully will we know fully until then Christ shows up in this diverse Uh, opinionated group of people that is the church and our calling is not to to gather in a subset of people who look like us, think like us, believe like us, give like us, serve like us, live where we live. No! Our calling is to be the first to cross social divides so that we testify of the reality of Christ's reconciling power. So so, um, Jesus prays for unity and that's why Paul offers this third reality who we've become. Because who have we become? Here's who we become. We've become part of God's new family. Look at verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. Now, if you think about the saints, like what do you mean by the saints? Who are the saints? The saints are those who, like, they go back centuries, millennia, 2,000 years of of church history. And if you know anything about church history, you know that the, the, the... category of the saints are populated by people who have wildly different views on everything, everything, everything right? Uh, women in leadership, age of the earth, divorce, marriage, remarriage, everything. 
and you're part of that family. That, diver- that family uh, that was actually very diverse. So from Genesis 3, there was division between God and humans, between humans as well. But this, pa- this powerful passage articulates that God's desire is to reconcile every single broken relationship, break down every tribal wall that divides one people from another, and that the work's already been done to make that possible because when Christ said it is finished on the cross, uh, now it's Christ's blood that is the thing that all of us share in common and it's the most precious commodity in the universe. So I have no reason to marginalize you or cut you off, none. Even if I don't agree with you completely. Uh, Of course, the problem is, though Jesus prayed for unity, Christ has often been a terrible source of division. We know it. And it's true to this day, presently, in my opinion, presently, there are kind of two Jesuses peddled, a social justice Jesus and a moral fabric Jesus. The social justice Jesus is all about race, poverty, creation care, addressing systemic issues of oppression, The moral fabric, Jesus, is all about abortion, marriage, and family, addressing personal responsibility, issues of sobriety, sexual fidelity, solid parenting. Which is the real Jesus? Actually, neither. Because both are Jesus. But if I cherry-pick my ethics and say that's Jesus, now I'm factioned. And then the church ends up fighting against itself. In 1 Corinthians 1... Paul said, hey, uh, the Greeks are wanting a sign, the Jews are looking for wisdom, but we, this is what he says, we preach Christ. So hear me, if I preach Christ, that means sexual morality and race and environmental responsibility and a thousand other issues get addressed. That's why every month I get letters saying you're too far to the left and you're too far to the right. And I, I kind of love that, actually. I go, oh, that's good. Uh, I'm too far. But the, hear me, the goal has never, it's never been for me ever to be left or right, but to preach Christ. Because Christ stands outside of all these parties. He's the cornerstone of a, of a new building. And so when you build a building, the surveyors, they put stakes in the ground where? In the middle of, the build, of, the, of a wall? No, at the corners. The corners become the reference point. And then we're being built together. And, 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 and we're growing, and we are, it says, we ha, it's not we have been built, we are being built. We're, we don't, none of us get it perfectly. So God's ideal is that we're being built together into a community that increasingly represents God's heart, even though we know that we fail along the way. But when we fail, we don't divide, when we fail, we converse. When we fail, we challenge, when we fail, we confront. In a highly fragmented culture, we tend to avoid being built together and rather find an echo chamber of people who just think like we do and then we're never challenged. <laughs> uh, there's a group of pastors that have got a, great, a, a bit of dismay over the word evangelical. So they gathered in Wheaton to try and figure out how to recover the word from it being hijacked by just one political party. Like how can we recover the word and make it a word that applies for everybody, the word evangelical? And these pastors got together to talk about how we could reunite and they couldn't, they couldn't agree on anything and couldn't come up with a paper. That's so ironic to me, right? Like, yeah, we, want, we gotta get this word back, but we, don't, we can't agree how. 
Well, the, the, one of the reasons I'm here at Bethany Community Church is because when I was a college student, again, speaking to grads, when I was a college student, I walked into the chapel across the street, which was the building at the time, and I was actually kind of disillusioned with some theological fighting that was going on over at Seattle Pacific University where I was attending. And I walk in and there's a, band, there's a little wooden plaque and it's still over there today. And it, this is what it says, in essentials unity, in non-essentials liberty, in all things charity. And I was like this, done. That's where I want to be. I want to be in a, in a place where Christ is at the center. Because when we take this cup together in just a moment, this is what we know. If I took the cup and you took the cup, I don't know you, but you're my brother. I, I don't know your politics, but you're my brother. I don't know your theology fully, but you're my brother. And as we, as we, as we cross divides, and as we know each other, and as we serve each other, as we care for one another, as we forgive one another, as we confess to one another, God creates a community that is, is diverse, and a diverse community in a polarized world shines as light. That's our calling. So when you take this cup in just a moment, that's what you're doing. You're saying, I am connected to every other person on the planet who takes the cup because Christ's blood has brought us together. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we have these moments and in this divisive world, I pray now that you'd speak to us as we come to your table, enabling us to respond in a way that honors you, Father. As we, particularly as we take the cup this morning, would, would you enable us to think about a specific divide we might cross to uh, testify of unity, to reconcile a relationship. And we'll thank you as we follow you, praying in Christ's name. Amen.